This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. Here's your host, Corey Tusick. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. On this week's episode, I interviewed Bob Burnett. Bob's company, Barefoot Mining, does Bitcoin mining. So I wanted to get him on to talk about that because they do um, you know different sizes. And then he had his article in Bitcoin Magazine about why Bitcoin needs more wild horse miners. Um, meaning, you know, there's different sizes and, and how true decentralization would come from uh, having more people with, uh, you know, uh, not just one miner, but, you know, maybe 10 to 250 miners and more companies like that spread throughout the world in different jurisdictions. So we talked about that, talked about his company and then also his background as uh, he was the chief uh, technical officer at Gateway Inc., uh, which is, you know, Gateway Computers. So, um, you know, that kind of led him into Bitcoin. So we get into all that and I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, This episode is brought to you by Movies Plus, my streaming platform. Go ahead and check it out for free, 30-day free 30-day trial. Just go into the app store, search for Movies Plus or go into um, go to mymoviesplus.com sign up for a free 30-day trial. So there's Bitcoin stuff going up, but there's also I mentioned this um, on a Twitter space. There's a movie on there called Jack of All Trades that I I recommend you guys all watch. Um, because Jack of All Trades is about uh, a friend of mine who uh, he was, his dad was into baseball trading uh, cards and that market was booming in the 80s and then in the 90s it crashed and it crashed because guess what? They overprinted and they printed too many uh, of the rare cards and it uh, devalued everything. So sound familiar? Um, So from a Bitcoin perspective, I recommend you guys check that out. And then it's also brought to you by CoinBeast Connect. Do you have questions about Bitcoin? Personalize your learning and book a one-on-one video call with a Bitcoin pro on CoinBeast Connect. Learn about mining, security, the Lightning Network, DeFi, taxes, and many other topics. It's really easy. Choose your topic and pro, select a date when you're available, and bring your questions to the meeting room. Book your first call today by going to coinbeast.com and clicking on the Connect tab. Be prepared for the financial revolution and get the knowledge you need. And I'll definitely be actually using that because um, I'm starting up some mining stuff um, personally and business-wise. So uh, I'm I'm going to be a customer um, of, of that. I'll, uh, I'll let you guys know how it goes. Um, and uh, and I'll, you guys, will, I'm sure, hearing about how uh, my, my whole setup starts coming together as we go along here and dip my toes into Bitcoin mining. Um, if you want to reach out to me, uh, follow me on Twitter at Corey underscore Tusik and the Twitter handle for the show is at Bitcoin Simply and you can email the show at Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks. So when when we were on um when we were on the show together, um Meister's show, Adam Meister's show, uh before we started recording, you mentioned I mentioned the Steelers, which I'm proudly wearing because they're yeah, playing tonight. Right. Uh, yeah. Are you a, uh, and you said something about the Packers. Does that mean you're yeah. a Packers fan? Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised in Wisconsin. So, so uh, very loyal, ardent Packer fan. Yes. Are you still up in Wisconsin? No, I live in Florida now. Um, oh, nice. My dad and my sister still live in Wisconsin. I have a lot of family there. So um, I guess, you know, when, when, when you talk about home, home, that's home is still kind of Wisconsin. To me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so we we us Steeler fans then have you to thank for the watch for tj watt um oh, yeah hey, yeah, the, 
the whole Watt family, really. <laughs> yeah, he TJ especially is fantastic, and you may not know this, but the the Packers passed on him, and um, the 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 entire Packer nation was in an uproar because obviously we knew what he was at Wisconsin and uh, very disappointed when he wasn't chosen. And, and yeah. he's, but, but although he's even been better than I would have expected, he's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, um, so for college, I mean, I'm a university of Pittsburgh graduate born and raised in Pittsburgh, but I've been a Michigan fan um, for pretty much almost my whole life. Um, and so when Michigan was playing, it was his senior year and Michigan was playing Wisconsin. They both were like in the, you know, like in like the 10 to 20 range in ranking. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this TJ Watt is unreal. Like I, you know, yeah. I thought, okay, he's JJ Watt's brother. How good can he be? And <laughs> during that game, I was like, man, I hope the Steelers get this guy. Uh-huh. So it worked out that way. Yeah. Um, good for you. Yeah, you. my now my son, my six year old, absolutely despises the Packers more than the Ravens. Oh, really? Yeah, and I think it's because solely because when we played you guys this season, this was his first experience with like this is his first year that he's really getting into the games, and like right. he keeps saying to me like I can't believe I used to do other stuff while the game was going on. Like you know now I get to sit there and watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we were watching the Steelers play the Packers, and I don't know if you remember, but they blocked a field goal and returned it for a touchdown at the end of the half to take a lead. Yeah, and uh, and the referees called it back on a terrible yeah. off. It wasn't pretty pretty questionable, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. And he was in disbelief. He just he said, "What do you mean it's not a touchdown?" And I was like, "They like the referees said it was offsides," and he said, "They weren't offsides." I know. I said, sometimes <laughs> I was like, more often than not, you'll find out that referees are terrible at their job. And so he, I think equates, he doesn't like the color scheme green and gold. Cause he's like, why would you put those colors together? And I was like, I agree. And then <laughs> second of all, then he goes, I think he holds it against the Packers that the referees made that call because that was the first time that he was like, truly in disbelief that something happened in sports so now when we watch it's like he always tells me he's like oh as long as it's not the packers like anybody but the packers <laughs> <laughs> well you have to tell him today that you you, you spend an, an hour or so with a packer fan and see if he'll forgive you <laughs> oh, he'll, he'll tell me that i can't believe you did that <laughs> so uh so anyways off of the sports though and on to uh to bitcoin and uh more specifically we'll get into so your background, so you, you're Bitcoin mining now and everything, and we'll get into that, but tell people about your background and, um, you know, you were the CTO at, uh, gateway computers, which everybody's familiar with the old cow computers. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. uh, you know, uh, how did you get into that and how did that lead you to where you are? Um, so coming out, of, I came out of college in 1986 with an engineering degree, electrical, um, engineering, computer science degree. Also, ironically, had also studied economics. Um, so, oh, wow. Um, which so you were was, a Bitcoiner before you even knew it? Before I knew it, right. Right. And uh, in fact, what I like to say is, uh, leap forward a little bit, is, you know, I, when, when I believe, you know, Austrian economics and technology had a baby and it was Bitcoin, you know, yeah. is, is what I like to say. And 
but anyway, I got out of school and um, had had two job offers. Interestingly, um, it was a tough time in the world, 1986 for for those of you who are uh, you know younger than me. A very very tough time. So I only had two job offers, and one was with a company called Zenith Data Systems, which was a division of Zenith Electronics, the old TV company. And the other was with the National Security Agency, and I essentially would have been a spy for the National Security Agency. Oh, wow. So I always, I always wonder, long story, it's a fascinating process that I went through, um, but I ended up turning down that job and, and entering the personal computer industry. And uh, was fortunate to get assigned to a project very junior engineer on what you would argue was the first laptop computer ever created. Okay. And, and so um, very fortunate to have been, you know, right there at the birth of something very exciting. And one of the neat things about being in an industry like the personal computer industry in 1986, very much like Bitcoin today is that nobody cares how old you are. Nobody, you know, there's no, nobody has more experience than you. So I could be a, I could be a 23 year old guy. And if I proved myself and I was good at it, I was successful. And and I think that's the same thing today. And, you know, if you're, and no disrespect people in other professions or other industries, but that's not very common, right? You know, if you're, you you generally have to work your way up and, and, and. Oh yeah. Go up the corporate ladder and the hierarchy and all that BS. Right. And so I, um, I spent six years there till 1991, at which point I, um, I started to get frustrated a bit by this corporate environment. It's just a fortune 200 company at the time, mm-hmm. uh, division. And, and while we were very successful as a personal computer company in those early days, especially in the, the laptop industry where we, um, we're the number one laptop provider in the world, 87, 88, 89. Um, there was, it was very difficult to innovate and create within that. And, and I had a vision along with some of my other uh, friends and coworkers of really driving laptop technology to be smaller, thinner, lighter, um, those sort of things. Remember, at this time period, they're like 12-pound boat anchor yeah. sort of things. And... So um, we had developed a plan to build a one kilogram product, 2.2 pound product that ran windows and which, which was kind of an exciting thing to have something that small that would run windows in that era. And we couldn't get any momentum for it. Nobody would buy into it. They wouldn't fund it. So, so we left, we were fortunate to be able to raise about $15 million from uh, Sanyo and Mitsui out of Japan. Um, and get access to a manufacturing facility. And so we designed that product. Uh, and what ended up happening was we had the 15 million was enough to develop the product and, and build some initial inventory. It was not enough to create a brand and a distribution channel and all those things. So we, we knew our strategy was to private label it. And we started shopping it with the major computer brands at the time. And, uh, we were unsuccessful with the biggest ones at first, but found this company in South Dakota gateway that, mm-hmm. that, you know, they had a, a visionary at, at, at the helm. His name is Ted Waite, who later became my boss and good friend. Um, he said, Hey, I'll buy it. And so um, make a long story short, I ended up, you know, he liked the product and he, and he liked me. And so um, 
ended up making a decision that instead of gateway was still pre IPO. Mm. So it gave me a chance. Um, so basically he absorbed my company and, and we, um, uh, bought the product the product was called the gateway handbook. Anybody wants to Google an interesting little product It's called the gateway handbook. And so I, I went in there, uh, initially led the, the development of the laptop business within gateway. And that grew to about a billion dollar division after a couple of years and then moved up, um, eventually becoming the chief technology officer and, and also ran, um, all the international businesses. So at one point it was, it was kind of a neat, um, it was neat in so many ways to be in an industry that was growing at that pace. Again, I, I think Bitcoin is following that same thing, but I, but I ended up managing about 4,000 people at one point. I had a nine, $9 billion P and L that I managed. So very cool to have that experience. Um, but, uh, eventually like a lot of things do, um, you know, that ran its course. So the, 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 my boss, uh, Ted Waite, he eventually left, um, still the primary owner of the company, but no longer was active, did not get along with the new CEO that came in. Um, we, mm. um, he would say I got fired. I would say I quit, but, um, <laughs> sometimes it's the same thing, right? You no, know, sometimes it was the same thing. And it's probably, you know, it's interesting as you get, you know, when you're, sometimes when you're younger, some people might say, well, if, you know, there's shame in getting fired. There's no shame in getting fired. You know, I mean, if you stole a, a whole bunch of money or something, yeah, yeah. there's shame in getting fired. But, you know, what you'll find is as you get older, like, hey, you know, sometimes you're not philosophically aligned or culturally aligned or, you know, whatever. Go get fired. It's fine. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it, it's, a, it's a pathway to something new. So, um, and so I started a technology incubator. Uh, on the heels of that and did, we did several companies, um, in the technology incubator, many of which still exist today, um, mostly in the technology space. And then, um, fast, uh, that was in 2004, by the way, that I left and, mm. uh, did this an incubator for about a decade or so. And, uh, and then, then, um, in 2017, so coming up on five years ago, I got a phone call late one night, and it was from actually an ex-Gateway uh, acquaintance, and he said, he said, Bob, uh, I'd like you to build some Ethereum mining machines for me. Can you do that? And my exposure to crypto, the world of cryptocurrency at that point was limited, um, and I, I said, well, why, why can't you just go buy one from Dell or wherever? I, I didn't really yeah. understand. So he said, no, 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 you don't understand. And you know, I, I, I need, he needed several hundred of them. He didn't want just one. He wanted several hundred. He said, I just, I can't get anybody that could build enough of them at scale for me. And so I went out, did some quick searches and sure enough, he was right. The only people building these would be gpu based rigs you know in that era um were guys in strip malls and garages putting together what they called open air rigs which which means you take motherboards and graphics cards and power supplies and you zip tie them to wireframe racks and horrendous designs terrible way to do it by the way <laughs> um 
But and if you're a hobbyist and that's all you have access to, fine. But you know, you can't you can't build it at scale. You can't mine at scale with that sort of thing. So, uh, I, uh, me and and uh, the the guy who's now the president of Barefoot Mining uh, with me uh, runs kind of the day to day of my company. His name's Keith Thomas. He was the head of desktop engineering gateway. So we sat down the next morning and said, well you know, can we, can we design these things? And said, yeah, we could. And it just so happened that a little piece of history, NVIDIA, when they were a startup in the early nineties, uh, trying to find a customer for their graphics chips, Gateway was their first company to believe in them and design their chips. So Keith and I made a few phone calls back into the NVIDIA guys and said, Hey, you know, we want to, we need several thousand um, GPUs, um, will you sell them to us? And they, probably a combination of uh, owing us a favor and and um, trusting us that we wouldn't gray market them or do something you know mm-hmm. funky with them. They agreed to give them to us, and so we ended up in the business. We 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 got the deal with this guy. And then we went to other people and we said, and at that time we said, oh, I guess we're, I guess we're back in the computer business. That was how we originally viewed it. It was, it was very mm. comfortable for us. Like, oh, okay. I guess, I guess we just I started a well. computer company overnight. And so we started calling other people saying, hey, we're building these. Would anybody else like one? And the answer often was, uh, yes, um, that's intriguing. And this might be a chiropractor who wanted three or a lawyer who wanted eight or, you know, the guy down the block who wanted one. And they'd say, but, but we need you to run them for us. So, Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) So we ended up getting in the hosting business about two weeks after getting into the computer business, because um, it was, it was enabling us to sell more. And we were honestly, it was very profitable. We were doing great. Um, and we weren't really focused on the crypto part of it. Again, we were thinking of it in that, that mindset of a computer company. And then we started looking at the amount of money that was being produced for the people that we were hosting for. We said, oh, maybe we should take this profit that we're making instead of putting it in our pocket we'll plow it back into machines that we'll run ourselves. And that's what we did. And so we essentially became a miner at that point. So um, the first company, by the way, that made the computers was called Divi Systems. And the second company, which does the hosting and our internal mining is called Barefoot Mining, which is actually the focus of the company now. And then as I got down into the rabbit hole, I realized that... um, you know, Ethereum became less and less appealing to me. It made money. These machines kicked out money, but it became less and less appealing to me. Mm-hmm. And Bitcoin became more and more appealing to me. So we started using the Ethereum mining, at least for us. Uh, what our customers did was up to them. But what we did for us was we started looking at it as a way to make Bitcoin, right? Because we could, we could either mine Ethereum and convert it to Bitcoin, or we could use a product like NiceHash for, uh, we could talk about that later if people wanted, and they'll actually pay us essentially renting your machine out to other people who will mine Ethereum and they'll pay you in Bitcoin. So that's what we started doing. And then um, being unable to make our own um, 
Bitcoin mining machines, we we did the next best thing, which is we reached out to Bitfury, which is probably the third biggest uh, uh, ASIC provider in the world, uh, European based. And, and we're able to reach an agreement with them to become the U.S. distributor and service center for Bitfury equipment. So it gave us that entree into, you know, having access to that equipment. And that's our primary focus now. We're not exclusively with Bitfury. We do like their equipment a lot. Um, it's designed differently than the, uh, and probably a lot of people aren't familiar with it because it's, it's typically not available. It's typically only sold to larger installations, but it's designed in a classic server manner. So those of you familiar with servers, it's a 6U format. So it's not that shoebox format like the Bitmains. Mm. Um, so it looks like a classic server. And the ASICs go on cards, kind of like a GPU card. So like the unit that we're using right now, which is um, it's called their B9, TARDIS Boost B9, um, has eight, um, eight ASIC cards that operate independently. And so it's a different, and it's upgradable. So mm. it, it's another thing that's kind of cool about it. Um, their energy efficiency is not quite as good as Bitmain, though. That's probably the downside of um, Bitfury is their energy efficiency is not as good. Okay. Um, wow. So, so you go from making a computer and trying to come up, may, may create a laptop that would be more, you know, uh, I guess, appealing to people it, that sucks you into a company that is, you know, gateway. And then you're managing computers. And then all of a sudden, because you're a computer guy, you're like, yeah, we can make computers. And you find yourself in this, this, this mining world. So it, so you're officially then transferred over to like all full Bitcoin only. We still have we, the, the, I mean, the equipment that we designed in 2017 still operates. It's like 99.9% still operating. So we have mm. thousands. And of those thousands are specifically because you couldn't make an ASIC for right. Bitcoin mining, but we use them to generate Bitcoin. Okay. So you're just, yeah. Flipping how, um, how hard would it be to turn them into Bitcoin miners? Is it, I mean, I don't know the technical side of that. So is it just a lot easier to make a Ethereum miner or? Yeah, just the way, you know, they, they run different algorithms, right? So mm -hmm. Ethereum um, runs one algorithm as probably everybody knows uh, Bitcoin runs SHA-256. Yeah. And we just, from an energy standpoint, which is really what it run, comes down to, we just it doesn't have the GPUs don't have the ability to compete with the A6 running the SHA-256 algorithm. So um, we do the next best thing, which is mine Ethereum, which we'll be able to do for some period of time. I don't know how much longer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Until they, they switch over to the proof of stake yeah, and all that. Some, some point, you know, that you know, and these are your a lot of your customers. This is basically your customers bought the the miners, and you're just housing, you're hosting for them, right? Correct. Okay. So then, then go ahead. But we have a bunch of our own too. Like okay, our focus going forward is a lot more. It, we're kind of de-emphasizing hosting. We'll do it on a select basis for people, but we're not we're not trying to be compass mining. We're trying to create our own. 
um, our own mining operations. And to the degree, if we have issues um, raising the capital to do a new site, we'll bring in investment partners, but we're, we're, we're not, we're not just trying to host yeah. people anymore. Okay. Okay. So, um, so I guess what, what made you become Bitcoin only? Cause it sounds like business wise, you're kind of, you've, you kind of have some of the Ethereum stickiness stuck to you, you know, and you still got the glue on there. Um, and it's much harder business wise to transfer out of that, especially because you can't make a, an ASIC that runs Shaf 256. So, um, what made the transition for you from, you know, crypto to Bitcoin only as far as your personal uh, philosophy goes? Well, like, I think like probably no different from a lot of people. I just started, I started peeling back the onion first from the technology standpoint. How does Ethereum work? Um, how does proof of stake work versus proof of work? Um, um, how, how is the monetary policy implemented and controlled? How's the governance controlled? How are those sort of things going? And I, I just started to get this uneasiness about Ethereum and started to see the beauty of the way Bitcoin was constructed and got more and more confident especially in the decentralization. So I, I think when you get really down to it, Ethereum is not decentralized. Almost every alternative coin out there says they're decentralized. And then you look into them and, and, I, and I try to keep up. It's hard, right? You know, I try mm -hmm. to read the different white papers. There's always at least one spot. You go, eh, it, it's really- It's relying not, on somebody there. It, yeah, there is a- point of failure there is a or, or point of control maybe not point of failure it's a point of control that can then become a point of failure failure either being disabled or controlled or manipulated or you know whatever and and you know some of them they're maybe not terrible but it's still there so then when you go well you know, what the world needs is money. It needs a reliable source of money. It needs a monetary system that we can all believe in. Those things can't be that. Maybe some of them will become something else. That's fine. I mean, maybe they will, maybe they won't, but none of them will be money. And, and whatever it is, there also might be that's beside money. Now, now you have to ask yourself, can, can, what they're trying to accomplish also have been accomplished at a layer two or layer three on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I just started to see that, you know, and then as an economics guy, like I said, I, I studied economics in college um, and I, I kept up with it just because I've always found it interesting. And I didn't learn Austrian economics in college. Nobody does, right? It's only yeah. Why would they teach you that? You know, yeah, they would teach me that. But, but I did about uh, twenty years ago stumble upon it, and before before Bitcoin, I was already an Austrian guy. You know, so by the mid two thousands, and certainly by two thousand eight, I was in. Like I mm -hmm. was, you know, on, and and I was trying to figure out how the world could convert because 
and you, when you get in that world, it's a whole different subculture almost. Oh yeah. And you know, you get a lot of gold bugs, you get a lot of those sort of guys. And, and a lot of them have these elaborate schemes as to how the world would return to a gold standard, for instance. And, and I could never get my arms around that though. I thought, yes, that would be better than what we have, but just practically, I couldn't see a mechanism by which we would ever get there. Yeah. Then, then Bitcoin came along, you know, and, and unfortunately I didn't find it till 2017, but, um, at least understand it. I certainly heard of it, but I, I didn't understand it. And then I saw the way the monetary policy happened. I saw the way that, um, money went into circulation and that, that, you know, that, you know, started to grasp what absolute scarcity meant, like those sort of things. Mm-hmm. So, so then, huh? So that, uh, so you were Austrian economics. Then, uh, you saw the disaster in 2008 and probably were like screaming from the mountaintops. Like, this is a mess. This yeah, is what yeah. you get for not, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so then Bitcoin, then I'm not surprised then that you basically, as you started to dig into Ethereum and everything, um, you peel back the onion. It's interesting. You say, um, how, you know, you, you just start to see the holes in it. And as you start to see the holes and the other things, you start to see the beauty of, uh, of Bitcoin. Um, so then I want to get into also, you know, that kind of leads me into your, your article, um, you know, because so now we have this, you know, a lot of people, even if, if you're a listener and you haven't fully gone down and peeled back all the layers of the onion, my belief is that everyone will is on their path to becoming a Bitcoin maximalist. They're just at different la- levels and they're figuring it out. Um, but when you get there, you all of a sudden you see this beauty. You're like, okay, we need to make this as decentralized as possible and protect it and everything like that. Um, so it's interesting. You said that, you know, how you kept seeing anything you looked at in other altcoins have a central control and you have a central potential point of failure. Um, now your article, which the title is the crucial role of wild horses in Bitcoin. And I recommend everybody read it. It's on Bitcoin magazine. And, um, and, uh, so explain that the thesis behind that. I could explain it, but I mean, you know, um, explain it for the listeners from your point of view, because I think it's really important with the, you know, like you said, the centralization and, and making sure that we don't fall into that trap. You know, the Bitcoin doesn't fall into that trap. Yeah. It, um, yeah. Thank you for, for uh, bringing that up, Corey. And I want to protect Bitcoin. And I think, you know, all of us as a community have to be aware that things change, you know, and, and we have to make sure that we don't fall into a trap. And in June of this year, when China banned Bitcoin, we saw a marvelous thing, which was we saw the resilience of the network. We saw 50 to 60% overnight essential loss of hash power and the Bitcoin network with the exception of some slightly increased block times over a couple week period performed flawlessly and has continued to perform flawlessly. 
But it got me thinking about the actual construction of the network at a deeper level and where its exposure points were and what could we do now to make sure that we prevent issues from coming up in the past. China banned Bitcoin. They've never been public about why, but clearly it, it threatens certain things in their infrastructure and their vision of at least what they view happening for their country, if not the world. And they, they took this action. They said, well, if in the future a nation state or a group of nation states said Bitcoin is really threatening us, um, would they try something else? And we have to also consider that, let's say sometime in the second half of this decade, that Bitcoin is doing things like threatening the US dollar as a global reserve asset, that um, we've, we see hyperinflation or accelerated inflation on dozens of fiat currencies around the world. We see governments starting to lose essentially their power, their ability to print money, you know, and a lot of their power comes from that. We see, we see things like the U.S., which has used the dollar's position in the world as a weapon um, to, you know, to sanction company uh, countries or prevent commerce between countries. We see all those sort of things. If they lose those tools, they might not go quietly, right? So, so and with all that as context, they said, well, there's a danger in what's happening in, in mining. So mining, when Satoshi started Bitcoin, it was a, you know, him and a handful of other people's having a couple computers in their home running and doing the mining. And if you read the details of his papers and his writings, you'll see that he never envisioned what we have now. Big farms, big sites, um, all over the network. He had a vision of kind of everybody mining at home. And by the way, he never used the word mining, interestingly. He, you know, that was something that came in later. Um, he, he didn't call them miners. He called them proof of workers. And he, and he, and, and the function of the miner and the node were com combined in his nomenclature. So he didn't separate those two things. Uh, he, he, so when he would call them, he would call them proof of workers or nodes, even though he but was, it was really the same thing. It was, it did the proof of work and kept the, the ledger. Right, right. right. So, um, you know, he didn't see this. But if we fast forward to where we sit today, where we sit today is there's a huge shortage of ASICs in the world. And what has happened is if you're in the mining business, you want to be in the mining business, whether that's at the individual level or the large corporate level, you've got to, there's only, there's only the food, um, what I refer to as the food, the food you need is the ASICs. If, if you don't have ASICs, you're not in business. Well, the really big companies of the world, the, the, the foundries and the riots and the Maras and the Bitfarms and places like that, and I'm not being critical of them, 
Mm -hmm. But they're going out right now. They have the financial incentive and and the financial capability to go to the bit mains and the the beat micro BTs and the bit furies and say, I'll make a commitment. I'm going to buy 50,000, a hundred thousand, some massive number of miners over this time period. If necessary, I'll even put deposits down on this stuff. And you, you give me a steady diet. Well, the, the, ASIC manufacturers don't have additional capacity. They can't add, it's finite, right? And essentially they're buying it all. There's almost nothing left. And what they're doing primarily is taking those ASICs and developing mega sites. Um, you know, there's one right now, um, Riot's doing in Texas, it's a 400 megawatt facility. It's a mind boggling bogglingly big mining site. facility yeah. mining facility and and so what i see happening is and i call those the elephants so we'll talk, start talking about the animal and nomenclature we probably should so i call those elephants and mm-hmm. i call the guys at home if like if Corey, if you wanted to get into mining you wanted to run one in in your garage you know, i'd call you a rabbit and i call the guys kind of in the middle um the, the horses. And, and so we have, we have all the ASICs going to mega sites. Now, what we also have is these mega sites because they need so much power. They're working often in a cooperative manner with the utility companies, wherever they are, or got in uh, Texas, for instance. And, and it, while it is true, you'll, you'll read things like they're putting these agreements in place and they're providing stability to the grid, you know, blah, 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 blah. They are also creating a dependency on the grid. On the, on the grid. Uh, and, and so I call that being captive. They, they now are slaves to that power source. Okay. Yeah, so if the, if they, the electrical company wants to... You know, cut their. I mean, in theory, if they just want to cut their power, then they're 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 out. They're, they're done. out. Right, they're done. They, they have no recourse, and and they're in these massive sites that you can't just pick it up and move it somewhere else quickly. So, um, you know, I, I want to say too, what I'm not trying to paint is what I think is the likely scenario. What I'm trying to paint is a possible scenario that we have to consider is. Is, is a non-zero possibility. It's a real possibility that this could happen, but I'm not saying it's the likely one. So I don't want to create fear and panic. That's not my intention. That's all Bitcoiners do, though. That's what I yep. love about Bitcoiners is they expo- explore every potential non-zero attack vector. Right. It's- and and, and that's, that's what this exercise is. This is a war games exercise of that. So now let's imagine five, seven years forward. The elephants, what I call the captive elephants, meaning elephant site, monster sites connected to the grid dominate the network. Let's say 95% of the world's hash exists that way. How much of it currently exists that way? Nobody knows for sure. It's very difficult to establish it, but I would say we're in the 80% range. Already 80%. dangerous. 
already dangerously large. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you look at the charts, let's say we exit the year at 190, um, exahashes of power and we exit next year at 300, almost all the growth is in ele- captive elephant sites. It's already planned, right? I mean, mm-hmm. most, yeah. most of next year is already planned. So imagine a world five years from now, seven years from now, 90, let's be dramatic. Let's say 99% of the world's hash is there. It's possible. And there are 100 sites around the world, 100 megawatt, 500 megawatt, gigawatt, et cetera, that are, uh, that those are comprised of those 100. Now, at some point, maybe there's an administrative change in the US. A lot of that's in the US, a lot of it's in Canada. Um, other places like Kazakhstan, I, I, um, there's still a fair amount of hash in China. But anyway, it, it, it's, it's a finite number of sites now. And let's just say that those nations which hold it decide enough is enough. Our, our currency has been ruined or we're, you know, our very power base of our government is, is, Destabilized by this. Yeah, destabilized by this. So send out the National Guard. Go take over all those sites. Cut the power. Well, let's see. Let's play it out. I'm actually writing another article for Bitcoin Magazine. It's the follow-on to this one. So I'll foreshadow Mm. it for people here today. So Because we're going to talk about this scenario. Cut 99% of the power. What happens now? What I would do if I was, um, I'm, I'm providing a, a roadmap actually for somebody that we mm-hmm. have to make sure never is even possible to implement. You cut the power and you do it the second after a difficulty adjustment. So, for those out you that are unfamiliar with it, every two weeks there's a difficulty adjustment. So, the, the Bitcoin algorithm says it always tries to get back to 10 minute block processing times. So, it says, hey, we were running a little fast last time. So we're going to, you know, we were running at a uh, nine minute and 42 second average block processing time. So we're going to increase the difficulty because there's more hash out there. Try to, to get bring it, back it up to 10, closer to 10, back it to 10 minutes. Now let's assume that that difficulty adjustment happens. Boom. There's not another one for two weeks. Instantly we cut power to a hundred sites around the world. And we reduce the hash power by 99%. Block processing times will go from 10 minutes to days. And in the course of that two-week period, we maybe process a handful of blocks. That's it. And then, so then, I mean, wouldn't people just huddle in that scenario and say, okay, let's wait till the next... Well, have, let's play it out. Difficulty let's play it out. Okay. Now, so like I said, I'm providing a roadmap here. Okay. So, so that really sucked. People are afraid. We're not quite sure what to do. The difficulty adjustment happens. It's now got to be adjusted by a factor of 100. The algorithm, by the way, has no problem with this. This is very simple. Mm-hmm. Now, remember... We've just nationalized or, or taken possession. Nation states have taken over. 
if I'm them, I instantly turn on all that horsepower. The moment the difficulty adjustment yeah. goes down by a hundred. hundred. Now, instead of processing blocks every 10 minutes, we're processing every 15 seconds. And by the way, what I'm going to do is because I control the hash, I'm going to process empty. I'm going to use all this hash power that I now have. I'm going to process empty blocks. I won't even pull anything from the mempool. I'm not even going to let any transactions process. I'm going to do that for two weeks. By the way, I'm going to, in the meantime, um, I'm going to win all this Coinbase, right? Because, Not the company you mean. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the, yeah. 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 Coinbase is the technical term for the, 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 the Bitcoin, block, yeah. the block yeah. subsidy within that. Okay. Yeah. Just clarifying so, for people. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you for doing that, Corey. So, so now... I mean, they, they're not in it for the Bitcoin, though, by the way. They're in it to destroy Bitcoin. To kill it, yeah. To kill it. But, but now we've, you know, now what we've done is we've, pro instead of um, releasing the coin into the, the money supply that we thought was going to happen in two weeks, we've done 100 times that. We've done like two years of release of Coinbase, of, of, of coin into the market. Um, and move forward to the happening. Now that the end of the process comes again, soon as the difficulty adjustment happens, I turn it off again. And I go through these time periods where, and there's no way for the, the remaining 1% to do anything, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the, at some point as a group, we'd, we'd probably have to some, we'd have to enforce a change in the difficulty adjustment algorithm. But by the time that happened, would have absolutely wrecked havoc and, and, and forced a confidence loss in Bitcoin because of that. So again, this is a war game scenario. So the, how do you prevent it? Well, mm -hmm. you prevent it two ways. The first way is don't let the elephants control that much. And we require some cooperation from them and the ASIC folks to allocate a greater percentage of the ASICs to the horses and the rabbits, okay? Because they can provide that stability, number one. Number two, and this is where I focus in personally and for my companies, is I'm, I'm a horse-sized guy, um, which means sites of like half a megawatt to let's say less than 10 megawatts. It's in that range. It's not an absolute, but it's in that range. And number two, um, we are working to generate our own power sources. So we're not dependent on the grid. We're not dependent on a power company. So my vision would be if we have as a community thousands of horse size heights sites scattered around the world, especially wild horses where the power can't be cut off, we eliminate the whole possibility of the scenario I just talked about. That that if we can get 30, 40% of the hash power out of the hands of the elephants, we can get a appreciable amount of that to be what I call wild sites, which are mean the power somewhere else. Now we eliminate that, that possibility. Okay. So how much you said 80% into the power of the horses? No, no, no. I, it, no, no. I, I, it doesn't have to be 80%. I'm saying even if 30 to 40% of the world's hash power is rabbits and horses, then we're probably safe. Ideally 50%, but 
but even 30, 40% is okay. Cause we have the model of what just happened in China. Right. Yeah. You know, and so, but if it gets in this 90% elephants, 95, 99, now we got a real problem. Yeah. And you said it's in the eighties. Roughly. Just my swag. It's just my swag. Yeah. And it's getting worse because as the hash is getting added right now um, by the elephants, the elephants are bringing in, let's say, typically 100 terawatt, 100 terahash per second class mining capability, uh, individual miners. Those will go to 150 and 200 terahash units in the coming year. Very little of that technology is going to find its way, especially to the rabbits. I can get some of it as a horse. I have some relationships, but I don't have the financial capability, um, at least not right now, to go buy 100 megawatts worth that I'm going to spread out. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm doing it one to five megawatts at a time. And there are a couple other companies trying to do the same thing. You guys read about, you know, the companies doing flared gas implementations, um, um, but, you know, those, these, these energy sources, whether they're flared gas, stranded gas, hydroelectric, um, geothermal, wind and solar, maybe. I think those are, those are not really that attractive to us horses because of their unreliability. But I think they will be popular with the rabbits, you know, just mm-hmm. guys who you've, you've talked about having your own citadel, you know. And so, you know... I, you know, do you want a windmill? You want a little solar array out there? Maybe, maybe you do. And, and you may not, you may not mine 24 by seven, maybe, you, you know, yeah. maybe you average 12 or 14 hours a day of mining. That's fine. That, that, that contributes It's probably financially beneficial for you. And it certainly helps our ecosystem. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, okay. So we need more of the little guys. Um, and, and how is that, you know, cause I, so just exploring this myself, you know, like an S nine, maybe four or $500, something like that, you know, and you're going to make, I think roughly $6 a day. If you're part of a pool, it's right. It's about right. Yeah. Um, and the electricity cost is probably around $3 a day. So, you know, I mean, it's not bad. You know, you're making roughly $90 a month off of a machine. You know, you recoup that investment within four, five, six months, something like that. And and then you're generating revenue. So, um, but they generate a lot of heat. They take up space and make a lot of noise. Um, you know, uh, Upstream just came out with their black box, which obviously is pretty cool. Um but uh, what's your recommendation for like the average, you know, pleb out there that just wants yeah. to start contributing? Um, I think the black box product is fantastic, by the way. And, and I think um, I think the upstream guys are going to have an absolute home run with that. Um, so I would highly recommend people go look at that. Um you know, the, the, the S nines, I think if you, if you want to cut your teeth, go grab one. Um, you know, you can even buy uh, one right here. You know, you can buy these little, um, USB 
you're not going to do great economically, but it'll get you exposed. Uh, these are like 250 bucks uh, from uh, Gecko Science. So I'm installing a couple of those here. Do so you just house. plug those into the computer and they just run? Yeah. Yeah. You need a powered, you put it into a powered USB hub and um, off it goes. I've got two of them right here. I'm putting make new, it. That costs 250 bucks, you said? Yeah. Don't look at the economics because the economics are not great. You'll, you'll, you'll break even over a year or so. But, yeah. but what you'll do is you have to do the same things to cut your teeth somehow. Right? I guess that's my, my advice to people. You'll learn so much by connecting them. You know, how do you connect a miner to a pool? Um, how does this whole infrastructure work? Just, just get exposed to it and get comfortable with it. Because I think we'll go back to what, you know, Satoshi clearly viewed in the beginning, which really is the safest thing, which is this network is not run by big sites. It's run by several million of us running miners and nodes in our, in our homes. That's the safest mechanism. Um, so to the average person out there, yeah, go buy an S9, go buy one of those, um, boxes from upstream and you can put it under your deck or or you know next to your pool pump or or something like that those are wonderful i think what most people will find is after you cut your teeth and you make that uh, initial investment which may be hundreds of dollars whether it's something like this or an s9 that um go you know you'll realize that you really want something more meaty that you'll, you know, but now you're talking a five figure investment. You know, if you want mm -hmm. an S19J or something like that, you're, you're going to go spend 12, 13, 14,000 at least right now, because you got to go buy it essentially on the gray market. Um, and, um, or maybe, maybe eventually some of those will be available used. Uh, but, but that's the long-term thing. And like I said, you know, for me and my company, you know, what I, what I really want to promote are these horse size high sites, because I think that the, what's difficult is the rabbits almost by definition are still captive. So, it, cause it's not practical for a guy with one or two units to also go make the investment to have his own power source. Yeah you know, on average, right. It, typically that's not going to happen, but I can say, cause I'm going to go put a container full of equipment, um, you know, a couple hundred machines, let's say on a given site that generates a megawatt, I can go say, well, I'll spend the couple hundred thousand dollars to develop the, the energy source too. Like for instance, if mm -hmm. it's a, if it's a stranded gas well, and I want a megawatt generator. Okay. Well, I, um, like if I have to drill the well, that might be depends on the well and all that, but let's say that's $200,000 to drill the well. And now I got to buy the generator or lease the generator. There's a couple hundred thousand more, um, you know, at, but the caveat is at the end of that equation, I have free energy. Yeah. So, yeah. so when you look at the long term. ROI of it, it's not bad. It's pretty good versus, oh, hey, I can just go negotiate a commercial rate and I can get 4.2 cents or you know, whatever the, the rate is. Look at how much energy you'd spend, let's say, you know, 
uh, over a five-year period with four-ish cents electricity. It's a pretty big number. And yeah. I, have a, I now have a long-term free source of energy that I can go through multiple generations even of ASICs that I can turn over. So, Okay. So, I mean, I think the best way to recommend for people you know, the, the average club out there, you know, which we all are and kind of what I'm doing is like, like you said, cut your teeth, you know, and get, get the feel for the process. Cause that's actually what I did with Bitcoin is I was like, all right, I just need to buy something enough to make me like sweat with the price, you know, change, <laughs> yeah. but like not so much that I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And, um, and so with mining, that's to me, you know, the, more often than not, you know, they have, when you're getting into Bitcoin, it's like, no, you just just buy it and you just buy it and get into it. Now that, you know, I'm at the stage that I'm at now um, where I'm like, you know what? It is responsible. It's almost like, I mean, it's not the right term, but like a fiduciary responsibility to Bitcoin to participate in the mining and hash power, you know, um, yeah. and you know, there were people out there trying to push like mining stocks and that gave me like serious pause. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa no, just buy Bitcoin. Um, and then I started thinking, well, you know what, though, you, you should buy, you should mine yourself. You mm -hmm. should, because let's just say you said a horse is what? Somebody 10 to 250 A6 running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so to become a horse, it really isn't that hard to do that eventually, you know, to get right. there. If you start now with an S nine, you know, to everybody out there, if you buy an S nine for three, $400 and it'll start making you a profit a year from now, then, you know, or within a year, um, then you'll start to see, okay, you know, I could add more S nines. And then all of a sudden your profit is up to the point where you're like, you know what, I'm going to take the plunge and get an S 19. And then that takes you 10 to 11 months to recoup. And then next thing you know, you're buying more and more. And yep. within five years, you are one of the wild horses. Yes. Well, you're at least a horse because then, then yeah, you're a horse. You're not, you're, you're a captive horse, but you're, you're still, you're helping, you're doing something very positive. And then, cause that'll be harder by the way. So even if you're a captive rabbit or captive horse, if it gets nationalized, just think about the practical side of that. Can, could they, could they really go to hundreds of thousands or even millions of homes if it's, if, if we're scattered out enough and say, Hey, looks like you're running an S nine in your, in your basement, we're going to cut it off. You know, they'd have to almost go door to door to, to search for it. And they probably would catch some people. Um, the utility companies do, uh, for those of you who have done some home mining, sometimes you will get like when you have a spike in your home, you'll get a note from the uh, utility company saying, hey, uh, just checking to see what you might be doing there. Uh, that already happens. Um, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. But I think Adam O had the cops come out to his house. <laughs> uh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. 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 They were like, what are you doing here? You know, because I mean, I'm sure there's questionable activity that could be associated with a spike in energy consumption yeah. right i view it as an invasion of privacy but we won't go down that oh yeah I mean, me too I, I view that as, <laughs> like, it, 
it's you know what i do with energy is, is personally i like to run blow dryers 24 7 so i've like i yeah. just plug them in and i just ramp them up yeah. i have i leave lights yeah. on um yeah you i know. respect your right to do so, so. yeah exactly <laughs> this is what a sovereign individual can do um right. well uh yeah no that's yeah so then it doesn't you know within five years you could be at least a captive force and then yeah. maybe another five years to get to the point where you're a wild horse and yeah. and it's and it may it might happen faster than that because if the price of bitcoin appreciates like we think it will then you know yeah. you should be able to uh to jump well you know i'll tell you what uh bob i really appreciate you coming on and i know you have a hard out so i want to make sure we get to that but why don't we maybe make this a part one so that whenever your next article comes out we can do a follow-up all right awesome yeah is that good with you that's good with me yeah i always i always enjoy it and yeah i think we come back in a few weeks maybe when i when i crank that one out over i'll, I'll have i've already started it and i should have it out uh, before the end of the year so okay yeah because yeah, i figure there's some rabbit holes there with uh, like you said the invasion of privacy and all that kind of stuff but I think this is a good base layer for people to to understand, you know, how to get to that um, to help protect the Bitcoin network. And like I said, it's not buying mining stonks or anything like that, you know, where you're just giving money to other people. You're you're investing it in yourself um, and uh, in protecting yourself and the network. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not telling people what to invest in stocks yeah. or not stocks, but that said, you know, one thing I will rem remind people of is that when you buy a stock, you are, you're making a fiat investment that will ultimately pay out in fiat. So it may or may not follow Bitcoin's price, but you're, you're really not participating in the system. Right. Yeah. And, um, and if, if you're, I, I'm, I, again, I'm not, I have nothing against any of those companies. Everybody has the right to pursue the business they wish to pursue. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, but um, all else being equal, I think throwing some money at being part of the solution and helping prevent the problem that we've talked about here today is, is really important. And so I, I would really encourage everybody to just do something, right? Do something. Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, that's the key, everybody. Do something, and and you know, get off uh, get off zero as far as mining hash power goes. Get off zero in Bitcoin, but get off zero in um, mining hash power. Uh, Bob, where can people find you and, and check out your article and everything? Yeah. Um, so um, the article that Corey referred to was published on November twenty fifth in Bitcoin magazine. So if you scroll through the articles, you find it on November 25th. Um, best way to reach me is on Twitter, uh, boomer underscore BTC. Uh, and I, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if, if those of you just listening, I'm an old guy, so um, <laughs> you can't see. Um, <laughs> you so, and, and, I, and I try to champion, you know, for, for the boomers out there. Um, you know, there are, there are some of us that I, at least I think get it. And want to be part of the answer and you know not every boomer is is evil and that's why i embrace that in my name um so um eventually i gotta get you and greg foss on together you guys would 
Yeah. You know, he, t- he, he proudly talks about being a boomer. So maybe that'll yeah. be a discussion yeah. we got to have sometime. Yeah. yeah. Greg and I spent, uh, three hours together. He, he lives in, he's a place in South Florida now too. We actually just got together last weekend and uh, oh, nice, great, great guy. And, uh, um, yeah, we, uh, I'm sure we'd be happy to do one together. Uh, we should do a, we should do a, like a boomer meetup, like just call it a Bitcoin yeah. boomer meetup, you know, and do it on Twitter spaces or something, maybe like that. Yeah. 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 Well, if, 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 if you don't put it together, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Greg would be game. Uh, and I, i certainly am. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, Bob, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And we will uh, let's we'll follow this up with another one. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, everybody. Bye.